no one's willing to do anything. Like for, for the most part, everyone has these, these great ideas and there's, you know, they're, they're dime a dozen because no one acts on their ideas. And when someone does act on an idea, they, they're still kind of hesitant to it because they're afraid to fail. And if you're afraid to fail, you're going to fail anyway. So you might as well not even try. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an awesome, exciting guest lined up for you today. This man has been a multiple time boxing champion. He's been a Golden Gloves champion. He's been a national champion. He's been an international champion. He's also been identified by Anthony Johnson of the 21 Conference as one of the top 10 thought leaders working with men and boys. And he is a comedian too. He actually goes out there and does comedy. I am speaking of the one, the only, the legendary Cam F. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Cam. Thanks for having me. I I dig the introduction. Thank you. Dig it, man. We're known for those. We're known for those. (laughs) So, Cam, the person listening to this show is a coach or a consultant who's interested in growing their business. They want to know how to do that. And they're thinking that learning how to stand out might be a good way to do that. So they're looking to learn from you. How did you get to be this differentiated expert, this recognized authority and thought leader? What's your backstory, man? Tell us your backstory. Growing up, I wasn't, I wasn't a very confident person. I had a lot of social anxiety and overweight. And when I was uh, about, I was getting bullied a lot. And when I was about my senior year in high school, I joined the only free gym in the neighborhood, which happened to be a boxing gym. And I was never a fan of boxing or sports really, but it was just free and, you know, it was poor growing up. So uh, I joined that with no intentions of ever even sparring. I never even thought about fighting. I knew sparring wasn't even a thought process. And after I lost the weight, I was gaining a little bit of confidence and I figured I'd spar a little bit. And I would, I would watch boxers train. Uh, and I learned a lot from watching other people. And I realized there's a lot of things that people were doing, like boxers were doing that. They were only doing it because coaches told them to. And the coaches only told them to because someone told them to. And I just decided to take my own approach. And I uh, kind of developed my own boxing style and realized that most boxers, which I've grown to realize, which happens in business as well, are completely inefficient and don't spend their time actually making themselves better. An example of that is the most popular workout in boxing, and if you can guess it, the speed bag. Sure, makes sense. Uh, it's a complete waste of time. There's no purpose behind it, and no one could tell me a purpose. And every time I kind of tell one of these older coaches, they'll say, boy, I've been doing this for, for, for 40 years. Well, you could be doing something long for a very wrong time. So they, they usually say, well, it's, it's hand-eye coordination. 
And then I say, well, you probably couldn't hit with your eyes closed. And they're like, yeah, I can. And then they hit the speed bag with their eyes closed, which means there's no hand-eye coordination involved. If you were to work out, let's say 250 days a year, and you dedicate four of those four rounds to hitting the speed bag, that's a thousand rounds a year you just threw away. Now, if you were to just take that time and work on your jab for an extra thousand rounds a year, you'd have a, a significantly better jab. So I've learned to just use use my time wisely, and I'm, I'm I've learned that in boxing, and that translated over into business. I'm looking at the list of titles you've won. You won the U.S. Men's National Champ title four times. You won the Golden five. Gloves National Champ. Oh, according to this, five times. Okay, another three times. You won the PAL National Champ three times. You were the Ringside World Champ five times. You were the Olympic uh, Trial seven. Champ seven times. Okay, so this thing's even. This list here is wrong. You won the three gold medals uh, at the Chio Aponte, the Olympic Cup, the Mazar Makai. And at that was the, in Ukraine. I still don't know. Can't say that. Okay, good. And the Independence Cup and Felix Stam. And then you won again the gold medal at Chio Aponte and at Pan Olympic Festival. That kind of makes you a bona fide champion. So you know what you're talking about when it comes to winning, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. talk about winning. People love to win. People listening to this podcast love to win. They want to win at growing their business. So what is it that you've learned, brother, about winning that you want to teach our people? I, I think winning is only as good as losing is bad. So mm. when someone loses at something, like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just a game, right? Then you can't, you have, you're not committed enough to be able to celebrate. And I, 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 I go balls out. If, if I lose my my world crumbles. I've had close to 400 fights. I've met people and introduced myself to them. And they're like, Kim, we fought twice. And I don't remember, but I could tell you all 39 of my, my losses in boxing rings. I think if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable to losing, then you'll be able to celebrate even better. And if you don't have a safety net, you don't have the option to fall. And that's kind of how I live my life. Wow. You know, I never quite heard it put that way before. So you've had over 400 fights. You remember every single of the ones you lost. And yeah. you go out there and you give it your all and you don't have a safety net. You, you allow yourself to be vulnerable, which means you probably win more often than you lose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a choice. You know, a lot of times, and I, and I see it in guys' eyes when they get tired, they're just like, oh, screw it, I'll just lose. Me, I, I put myself so out there where with, and, and I put myself in that position purposely to make sure I don't have a safety net. I dance on the way to the ring. I flip into the ring. I do all of this because I don't want to have another option besides winning. So it's like the Trojans in ancient Greece, right? They burned the boats. They had to oh, win yeah. or die, right? Basically. Yep. That perfect. That's how, and that's how everyone should be. But the fact that people aren't like that it makes it a lot easier to be successful because <laughs> no one's willing to do no one's willing to do anything like for, for the most part everyone has these these great ideas and there's you know they're they're a dime a dozen because no one acts on their ideas 
And when someone does act on an idea, they, they're still kind of hesitant to it because they're afraid to fail. And if you're afraid to fail, you're going to fail anyway. So you might as well not even try. Wow. Wow. So how'd you translate this attitude to business and how's it paid off for you? I've adopted the thought process and I've lived it so authentic and genuinely that it's who I've become. And boxing is the greatest metaphor for life because everyone's dealing with their own, their own battles, their own struggles, and everyone's fighting something. And I was just able to take the, the whole concept of boxing and the approach to boxing, an unorthodox approach, uh, uh, and I brought it into the speaking world. And, and I found that the, the greatest thing I could have done was box. And I dropped out of college to pursue boxing. And I don't have a lot of formal education, but what boxing taught me is something that you, you can't learn at a school because you have the, you have consequence in life, but physical consequence on top of consequence is, is the worst position to be in. So I'm always motivated. I've trained myself to be motivated because if I don't wake up in the morning and go running, or if I start skipping workouts, or if I have to start cut weight too, too often, then I'm not prepared for the fight. And if I get tired during a fight, I'm getting my ass beat. And not only do I not want to lose, but I don't want to be exposed. So wow. the amount of energy it takes to prepare for boxing and be successful in boxing, you could do anything else. You can use 10% of that energy for anything else and be successful. So now I've, I've taken that type of energy and I've brought it to speaking. And at first I wanted to enter the corporate world and do corporate speaking. And I spoke at some schools at first because you have to start from somewhere. And I know a lot of people who don't get far in life because they're always like, well, I, I, I deserve to be speaking to a bigger crowd. I've done speeches for three people. Uh, I started doing these workshops and I partnered with a company. I, I live in Kansas City. I partnered with a company in Omaha and they were supposed to sell the tickets and do the promoting. And I was just supposed to drive up there and do the, do the workshop. And when I, I woke up that morning, I checked the email to see how many people had signed up and it was one person. So one I, had the, person. I had the thought process of one person. So I had the thought process, like I, I didn't know what to do, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to disappoint a hundred percent of my clientele. So I drove four hours and did the workshop for one person. And wow. if anything, it was experience. I've, I've learned, I've done comedy shows in, in front of people on their cell phones who would rather me not be talking. I mean, I feel like you do enough stuff. You do enough gigs like that. You can be prepared for anything when it actually does matter. So my thought process was I'm going to speak a hundred times for free before I ever charge anyone. Because the last thing I want to, would want to do is come up short and disappoint a booker. So when I, I was probably speaking for not that long and someone uh, approached a Starbucks approached me to do a, uh, a talk on ironically enough, diversity in the workplace. And How I don't about that after that. all this garbage that they went through in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, this was, uh, th this was like two years ago, though. But the, the stuff with Starbucks, I think people are just so ridiculous now. I, I agree with you. It's over the I'm, top, man. It's I'm just over the top. <laughs> I, and 
okay, you know it's BS. Like the, the diversity training, like what are you going to learn in four hours? You're going to undo your, your whole racist upbringing? Because no one wakes up one morning and decides to be racist. I mean, that's something you're kind of brought into. Well, like listen, I'm, I'm from the Middle you, East. You do a four-hour class. You're from where? I'm from the Middle East. I'm from Iran. And I'm, I'm a Christian from the Middle East. I'm a, from a Christian in a country which is almost 99% Muslim. So it just gives you a sense of my minority status. When I was a kid, um, people used to, like, just come and punch me in the head for being a Christian, just, just randomly. You know what I mean? They saw a cross hanging around my neck. And, you know, I dealt with it. Our family dealt with it. And we, we learned to fight back and all that, and we won people's respect and all that stuff. I came to North America. Nobody was, you know, punching me in the head for how I looked or the cross hanging around my neck. I never lost a job opportunity. And, you know, I'm not saying that people aren't prejudiced because everybody's prejudiced at some level. We, we got to all fight it. Uh, yeah. and we can't help it. It's just, it's just the nature of being human, right? Someone's different from us. It makes us feel threatened, makes us feel scared, makes us feel whatever you want to call it. Right. But I come in here and for the most part, people are great to each other. You have opportunities. I, I mean, I, I wasn't forbidden from going after certain jobs because of my, my religion, you know what I mean? And yeah. yet people here complain about racism and prejudice to a way that people back home don't. And they're experiencing like the kind of racism prejudice that could, you know, have you killed or end up in a hospital. So yeah, I just laugh at I, people I, here. I just laugh at people oh, here when they go, oh my God, you offended me. That was racist. I'm like, give me a break. You don't even know what real racism is. When, when did when did you uh, get to America? Um, actually, I'm in Canada, but in uh, 1982. Yeah, 82. Uh, yeah. I, I think the, the problem is, not even the problem. I think that, here in America, it's so great that we don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> we so really we don't. make up a bunch of stuff. So yeah. we make stuff up. We, we, we make stuff up. Yeah, like I'm not saying it's disingenuous. I mean, they don't know any better. I, I understand the ignorance of a person when they tell me something like, "Oh, I went to uh, I went to Jamaica. It was beautiful. I man, I could live there." I'm like, "Oh, you think Sandals Resort is what that country is?" Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> like most people don't know what poverty is. Yeah, Jamaica, unfortunately, has some serious poverty. Yeah. When we say we're like, oh, man, we're, we're poor here in America. Like, we still have uh, government assistance and running water and, and sh homeless shelters. I've been to countries where- And iPhones where and, like, 4G yeah. TVs. <laughs> yes. You got a cell phone. You have $300 Jordans on. Like, you're not you're, – you're bad at managing money, but you're not poor. <laughs> no. Nobody's starving. That I'm aware of. No, I, I don't think people know the difference. Like, I, I've, I've been to countries where there's garbage on the street, not because they're dirty. It's because they don't have a sanitation system. I mean, they're drinking out of lakes. I mean, it, there's real poverty. And we don't have problems. So we make up. Yeah. We, we make it like uh, the whole gender pronoun thing, the whole bathroom deal. Yeah, don't get me I'm started on that. that. <laughs> I'm not saying that these people don't genuinely think these are issues. I think they don't know what other issues are. Like, this is the things they, they have to worry about. While others in other countries are worrying about if, if you know. They're going to live. <laughs> alligator's going to eat them drinking from yeah. a ravine or something. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. And listen, 
I, 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 I don't want to sound like I'm insensitive to somebody who's, you know, experienced uh, being made to feel less than, right? Like, I mean, people say, say nasty stuff. That's not fun. It's not good for any reason. But at the end of the day, there also needs to be perspective. Right. And I, I, I especially think that someone calling you a name because of how you look or because of your, your religion or your gender or whatever, it's not a nice thing. No question about it. But you know what? You got to toughen up a little bit and be able to take it and do something uh, about standing up for yourself rather than, you know, crying in a corner and saying I'm a victim uh, and oh, then yeah, having that's, an that's overreaction. There's overreactions that people have. Like there's people who are losing their livelihood over this. Now, someone says something nasty. I have no problem with them, you know, being called out and apologizing and all that jazz. But do you need to destroy their business? Do you need to destroy their ability to make a living? Just take them down. That's insane, man. That's like insane. I mean, that's that's worse than what they did by a factor of 100. You know, taking away someone's ability to earn a living, feed their family, that's, I'm sorry, to me, that's racist. Yeah, that, the, the whole liberal college deal. Yeah. I believe college, though I didn't go, college is a place where you go to prepare for the real world. And you learn how yeah. to, because you're preparing for work. Now, although that most people are doing, are, are going to school for jobs that they are going to eventually hate or degrees that they'll never use, it's supposed to prepare them for the real world. And yes. if someone says something that hurts your feelings, like, or someone may say something that hurts your feelings, so you don't allow them to be, to do business with you. I guess this what I do. I give speeches in places that like, I would never want to be where I don't feel comfortable or I don't, I don't agree with those, with what people, I'm not going to agree with what everyone says. No, how could you? <laughs> and, 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 and although I think very highly of myself, I think I'm great. I think I'm amazing. I you name should. myself awesome. But, That's yeah, why your name is but, Cam Awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want everyone in the world to be like me. I don't want everyone to think like me. And I think it's a flaw that that people think that. Like, like the I, I saw a video and I think I, I retweeted it about some liberal college not letting certain com- like they want to vet comedians' jokes That's because nuts <laughs> want it to be a safe space. I said, you, you mean the, the funny guy? holding a microphone on the funny stage at a funny show, you're going to take anything he says seriously. I don't think there's a joke that is off limits. Even uh, when Bill Maher said that thing recently, a couple months back. Yeah. 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 When he said that the, the reporter on his HBO show where you can curse and it's not censored, the reporter said, Oh man, you're in this big studio. You need to come work the fields with us. And I saw his face light up because that guy inadvertently threw Bill Maher an alley-oop <laughs> and and, and I promise you, if Bill Maher didn't say anything, I would have thought he was racist because <laughs> he obviously had the reaction. And I say things that could come off as racist because I have no ill will, no harm towards anyone. So I say what I think if I think it's funny. And he waited. He paused a second. The timing was perfect. He said, work the feels. Man, I'm a house. <laughs> and I love it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, and they nailed him for it. I remember that. They nailed him for it. And you know, when you said it now, it was funny. Next week? You know who showed up to a show next week to talk to talk about language? Ice Cube. Really? <laughs> Ice Cube from NWA. Yeah, that, that dude. NWA guy. The, yeah, the F the police guy. That guy. That guy. That, and and I, I think that is 
I, I there's nothing that said in jest that should be taken. So I, I don't, I don't care if it's, if it's a dead person, a sick person, and there's nothing off limits if it's intended for humor. Now, if you're on the stage and you're a comedian, some, sometimes jokes don't work. And sometimes it, it's not, it, sometimes you don't deliver it right. But I'm not going to be mad at somebody for attempting a joke. Now, if it's something said like hateful or, or something ignorant, if you say like, oh, uh, 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 and just you see a, a, a person, uh, a, a brown person, and you're just like, oh, it's a terrorist. That's, that's not funny. You're just trying to be offensive. But if you have a well-articulated joke with a punchline that you don't see coming, I'm all for it. I don't care if it's against black people, vegans, people with I make fair, I'm, I've been vegan for six years. Are you vegan? I, to, I do. Yeah. Man, you're this no. big buff boxer dude. <laughs> and you're vegan. The man I train with, his name is Mark McCoy. He's an Olympic gold medalist, 110 meter hurdles. He's vegan too. It just blows me away. Yeah. And I go to these veg fests, these vegan festivals. I, I basically MC a festival in different cities every weekend. Last weekend was Buffalo. Uh, Saturday, I'm doing Albany. Uh, next week, I think it's San Diego. So anyway, it's what I do. And I do comedy shows at these events a lot of times. And I had a lady, uh, a PETA lady, walk out on one of my, uh, one of my jokes because she was offended. Wow. And I'm not going to apologize. I, I'm, nope, won't apologize. I did it once. I got my first college speaking gig. And, uh, well, my first college, uh, comedy show, which are pretty hard to get because I'm not in NACA and, uh, it, it was sold out and I was pretty excited because it was the first show I sold out first college to where I did. I'm like, well, these kids probably follow me on Instagram and everything. They know who I am. So, uh, all the comedians when I was headlining and I was walking towards the stage and someone's like, man, it's a pretty big crowd here, huh? And I'm like, yeah, they're here for me. And he's like, Oh, you, you think they're here for you? I was like, I'm, I'm the headliner tonight. He's like, Oh yeah, I know, but you don't know why they're here. I'm like, I, why, why they're here? I'm about to get on stage. Tell me before I go up there and look like an idiot. He's like, oh, you're the first comedian here in a year because the last comedian said an offensive joke and all the students walked out together in an act of solidarity. So everyone showed up to repeat it. And a, the first thing I thought was I could do it in 30 seconds. I can get everyone to walk out in 30 seconds. Nice. And then oh my God. The other part of me was like, I work off referrals and it's my first college gig and I just kept it clean. And every time I, I was leading in a direction and I could see that they were getting tense and they're like, Oh, this could be our opportunity. I took it away from them. Oh. And I drove home that night and I felt like crap. I felt like I, I disrespected myself and I promise myself I'll never do that again. Good for you. Try not to offend people at a comedy show. Like I won't go out my way to purposely offend someone. But I was, I was so upset at myself that I did that. Well, let, let's, let's just roll this into some thought leadership before we wrap up the show. Okay, so you've been a champion level boxer. You've brought that into your speaking career and your, your comedic career. And what you've done is you've had an attitude of victory failure is not an option and you've also had the courage to stick to your convictions and when you didn't you felt like like crap as you put it and 
what you've realized is that for your business to grow, you need to be true to yourself. That's powerful stuff. I like it. Yeah. And I have commitment. That's, I, this, this is how committed I am before we wrap up. I was on a, my first speeding tour, 51 days. I set it up, did everything myself. And I, I believe that successful people work harder than you could ever imagine. But many of them don't like to talk about how hard they work. Because when you're about it, you don't need to talk about it. And that's how I was in boxing. I would train when no one was looking and then kind of act like it's casual. I was busting my butt every day in the gym. And then when people are around, I just kind of played it cool. and like, oh, look, Cam's always winning. He barely works out. I work out harder than anybody else. And with uh, the speaking business, I realized that no one respects a business person that doesn't have representation. And I was emailing a lot of these people about booking gigs because I'm doing everything myself. And I wasn't getting any responses because I was just some Joe Schmo uh, who's, who's representing himself. So I got an agent and a scheduling manager to book my gigs for me. And I mean, it's about 10 hours of work a day. And it's just me using a different email address, speaking about myself in third person. Her name is Alice. I became my own, my own agent just because you got to find loopholes and way around the system. I love it. So I love it. I booked my 51 day speaking tour three hours into it. I totaled my car and I hit a sheet of ice, hit two medians, slid down a, a hill and hit a tree. And I climbed out, out of the ditch, a car pulled, a few cars pulled over to see if I was okay. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I'm all right. Uh, could you give me a ride? Cause I saw a sign that said airport five miles. So can you give me a ride to the airport? And he's like, you sure you're right? I'm like, yeah. And he drove me to the airport. I rented a car, drove back to my, my total car, uh, took everything out and drove through the night because I lost some time and got to the school two hours before it opened, slept in my car for an hour and a half, brushed my teeth in a Starbucks and continued my speaking tour. Now I just bought a Mercedes Sprinter with, has a sink in it, a bed, solar panels on the roof. And I'm basically going to live in my van for the next six months and do nonstop speaking gigs. That's how committed I am. I got to tell you, I'm very impressed. You know, most of the thought leaders we bring onto our program uh, have built really successful businesses, you know, mid six figure to seven and even eight figure businesses. To see someone like you who's, who's been a champion level boxer, bring that into the business world and have such a dedication to winning, it just warms my heart. So um, I know that uh, you've got a speaking tour coming up. How do people find out about your speaking tour? Is there a website? Is there a link? Uh, yeah, you can find me at celebritysportspeaker.com and at CamFAwesome, C-A-M-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Awesome. So listener, if you're listening, you know, definitely go. Uh, this information is going to be in the show notes as well. Go see Cam speak if you can. Consume his content. This man's the real deal. He's been a champion boxer. He's bringing that to the speaking field. He's going to be a top level thought leader. And uh, this man is worth listening to. And he's obviously someone who's true to himself because he's willing to be politically incorrect. He's willing to stand up for what he believes in. And my friend, for that, I have huge respect for you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. 
My pleasure. And listener, if you're wondering to yourself, you know, could I be like Cam? Could I get out there and grow my coaching consulting business? And the answer is yes. And here's how you do it. Jump on a call with myself or a member of my team. Go to eastcircleacademy.com forward slash appointment or go to eastcircleacademy.com. Go to the top right-hand corner and click on the button, schedule your success call, jump on a call with us. We'll help you figure out a plan on how to get trained to bring your expertise out there into the marketplace and show you how you can grow your business so that your money worries will be over forever. Cam F. Awesome, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, pleasure's all mine, my friend. And that wraps up another powerful episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's awesome guest, the one, the only Cam F. Awesome, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com and to find out how you can grow your coaching or consulting business, go to eCircleAcademy.com forward slash appointment. Until next time, goodbye.